The single most important thing you can do is to shift your internal stance from I understand to help me understand. Everything else follows from that. Today on Walking Through Glass, the podcast, we introduce our new series, Race, Class, and Sisterhood, which are really difficult conversations that we as women need to have, again, about what is race? What is racism? How does class impact us? And more importantly, what endangers the sisterhood and what can we do to actually help build each other up? So you know what time it is. It is time for us to get real. Real talk. Radio. Let's go. There are times in your life when you're feeling lost and you don't know where you're going. You're feeling down, feeling underground, and you got nothing worth showing. But the Dean of Brown's got your cover, sis. She can show you another way. Tune in weekly to your radio, and she'll have it feeling like. Welcome to Walking Through Glass, the podcast. The podcast where you are invited to ear hustle on an intimate conversation between real women as they discuss their journey, joys, and diva hacks. I am your host, Dr. Dina C. Brown, executive coach, international best-selling author, and bold woman walking through glass every day. Walking Through Glass is about the struggle we face on our journey, which I describe as walking through glass. Our conscious conversations are all about real talk with real women that are doing their best to navigate fear, anxiety, depression, imposter syndrome, limited beliefs, negative self-talk, and other BS, you know, belief systems. Welcome to the show excited welcome nicole how are you doing okay how are you doing i'm great i i wanted to kick off this special series which of course is a special series about race class and sisterhood and for once i didn't want to include like long bios yeah i just want it to be two women (laughs) having conversations and for once being able to leave a lot of all of our labels off the table (laughs) so that we can really talk about what's the underneath piece. And of course, um, I know that this conversation is going to be so rich 
I know that this conversation is going to be so transformative and I know that this conversation is much needed. And so I'm so happy, Nicole, to just have you here. And I am so appreciative that you said yes when I said, hey, I want to open up the platform and and let's talk. Let's talk about what's happening. And I wanted to particularly talk about race, class, and, you know, sisterhood with my sisters. So thank you and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I am, uh, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm nervous. Um, but I think that these conversations are so important that we're having them in our families and our circle of friends where it's uncomfortable at work, where it's super uncomfortable and recorded, which is horrifically uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we've now all seen the power mm-hmm. of recording and capturing things on tape and video. And when you said that, it just hit home because, you know, as an African-American woman, and I want to be very clear, an African-American woman, not labeling as a woman of color, you know, an African-American woman, because we have some other unique, what I would say um, can be described by others, definitely not myself, I don't internalize it in that sense anymore, is some other comorbidities that are different than other people of color. And so I, as that, Will Smith said, Mm, it wasn't like that this is just happening, and I'm paraphrasing, not quoting his direct words, he said, it's now being caught on tape. Yeah. And it's the power of the tapes because historically speaking, mm-hmm. historically speaking, and part of my everyday life is the awareness and the knowledge and often the concern from not only myself, but my son and my brothers and my uncles and, you know, about what was, what it's like you know, living in America, why black, why black, why driving while black, why shopping while black, just all of these things. And so it says, you know, they say the revolution shall be te- televised. Mm-hmm. Well, the racism should be televised. And now it's really sparking the revolution. Yeah. Yeah. Will Smith. Um, I think he really, he really captured that in an incredible way. Right. And this is the power of, um, <laughs> Yeah, just people speaking up and being very concise, right? Because racism isn't getting worse. It's just getting filmed. And that, you know, I'm of many, I'm of many um, viewpoints because, you know, as a white woman, I grew up in Southern Ohio um, with everything that comes with that. On one hand, I know that the filming and the sharing and the constant sharing and the making go viral of so many of these deaths, so many, um, has made a difference in a lot of people's, white people's consciousness, um, their awareness, their willingness to have conversations in a new way, and the traumatization and the glorification of black death is incredibly painful. Yes. Because if my husband who's white, he's German, but he's white. Um, 
if he was murdered in the street, that would be yanked down. But I can still go online. And I know for a fact, because when white people are beheaded by ISIS, that's instantaneously removed. Instantaneously. Try to find it, right? And now, over, (laughs) over a week later, and in some cases, over a year later, if I wanted to do that, I could go find those videos. And so my personal viewpoint is um, I'm not going to share that and I'm not going to watch that because it's not as close as with you, with your son. But I see my friends. I see some of my clients. I see some relatives. And I don't, I don't, that's not entertainment and that's not education. (sighs) Wow. That is, that was a, that's a great, like, perspective. And what I love is your bravery involvement and sharing that perspective in the manner in which that you did. Because as you were sharing and you were talking, I thought about the fact of why it is important to keep mm-hmm. it up because so long the the travesties and the traumas were hidden from certain view but they were all very present and they're used as fear so i do have a dichotomy of th- i have two different thoughts i agree with this but i also know that people move and act on emotion and it's nothing like seeing it so i understand the tool of why to show it i don't I wouldn't categorize it personally as like it's entertainment. It is, it is something that is a sense of awareness because I think about how, if you know what strange fruit is, which is the blacks who were hanging when they were lynched and there were actually parties. Yeah. Parties, (laughs) picnics. And so that's why I don't use the term picnic. If people knew the history of certain things, I don't use certain words because I know the history of, of, of the word. Mm-hmm. And so they would have that. And um, I hadn't shared this even before on any of my shows or even outside, but I remember um, my ex-husband and I, um, he was stationed in Watertown in New York, upstate New York. And I was there visiting um, actually from Germany. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, cause we were there and then he was there for temporarily. And we went up to the thousand islands area and my husband has a knack, my ex-husband had a knack for building friends, relationships, whatever. He goes somewhere, he finds a friend. And so we were there that day and Xavier was with us and he was, I don't know, maybe six or something. He was a small child. Mm-hmm. And we got invited back. We met some friends. My husband went to the bathroom and the ice cream parlor came out with some friends. We were invited back to their um, their boat house area, um, to kind of chat and talk before we had drove back down. And so we were there, we were talking great people. Oh, we were having a great conversation, et cetera. There's a dad, there's a mom, there's a younger guy. And at first I was telling my husband, I told him, I said, I'm not cool with these people. They might Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, I knew that I'm not leaving with these strange white people up in this area, you know, and I would just say that, 
But here's the truth of it, right? We sat there, we talked for maybe an hour or two. I mean, just had a great time. So they took us out to this little shed area that they had, which was an addendum to their house. And he was showing us some of his memorabilia for whatever it was. And I can't remember what was in the shed for this very reason. I looked up and penned on the very top of that shed wall were those lynching pictures that he probably was present at. And if you looked around in the room, there were other artifacts of being present of him and his family at these picnics. I pulled my husband to the side Mm -hmm. and I said, let's get the hell out of here as quick as possible. And I remember I was shaken, shaken to the core. And so when I see these images, and again, I taught history, I taught reconstruction, I taught, you know, American Negro slavery, I taught those things. So I have a different perspective and an awareness and an understanding, but I know the power of images and art to memorialize and to evoke and to be a part of, of the change. But what's happening now, I keep thinking, if there were no pictures, then what? Yeah. yeah. Then what? So that's why I said I get it because I'm like I don't want to I don't want to see that because it made me uncomfortable. But then I knew I had to see it. It took me a while to watch the video of George Floyd. I didn't watch it right away. I was hearing it, I was seeing it, and I said I cannot. After Armand Aubrey, after I said I just oh can't. Yeah. After Armand Aubrey, Brianna Taylor, this was all back to back. I said I can't. Yeah. And so. I sat there and it was like, you must. And I will tell you this, you and I wouldn't be on the show today if I hadn't watched that video. Cause I, I said, I can't sit anymore and ignore. I can't sit anymore and not say something. I can't sit anymore in my fear of offending. I have a widespread eclectic ecosystem. Yeah. People hear me share about Xavier. Well, one of, she is my sister, and that's Laura Votipica of Polish descent. She's six feet tall, blonde, blue eyes. And when I was in certain situations, I said, if something ever happens to me, you get to keep Xavier. Not my sister, not my, I said, I would want you to keep him. Because I knew value, whatever else. So... I was caught in this juxtaposition of speaking out and saying something. How would that offend or be received by my white ecosystem? Mm. So one of the best things about this, pandemic and being at home has been the opportunity to be a vessel um, for the pain and the rage of um, different people in my life. Your anti-racist white community will meet you where you are. The people who have been doing the work or are ready to do the work or um, just love you so much that suddenly they're doing the work and they didn't, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
we'll meet you where you are. And if they're offended, that has everything to do with where they are. I was, I really struggled with being called white for a couple of years. So I spent a few years in a neighborhood where I was called white girl because it was a fair description. (laughs) I was the white girl, right? Um, And then there were a few years where I felt very uncomfortable with that. I lived in Germany for a long time. And, um, you know, as much as there's been truth and reconciliation, there's also still racism for the immigrants and the immigrant descendants from Turkey and from Italy. Um, Now with a lot of Koreans and the Africans um, from Eritrea and Ghana, those are the most common. And I learned a bit more because I didn't have, it wasn't about me and it wasn't about my culture. So I could listen to a woman of Turkish descent who, to be clear, her mom had been born in Germany, um, tell me, well, the reason I'm not going after that is because they don't want me. So why should I waste my energy? Right? That was easier for me to learn about an experience than my own culture, right? Because I personalized it. And it, it's, it was easier for me when I was in Germany, because I was in Germany for 13 years, right? Um, you know, Germany is small, so everyone lives together. Like in my neighborhoods, there would be a mechanic and a professor and a cleaning person and a consultant and a dog walker and everything together, stay-at-home moms, whatever. And it was easy for me to ignore the realities of the United States when I came back because I was on vacation, right? It's just, <laughs> you go on right. vacation, you don't pay attention. When I moved back here, I was, and I'm in Denver, I was truly surprised at the level of segregation. We segregate by race, we segregate by income, we segregate by religion, we segregate around the schools, and we make, and to be clear, me too, decisions that perpetuate the infrastructure that leads to a woman calling the cops because she doesn't have her dog on a leash. A woman calling, a white woman calling the cops because people are having a barbecue. And that is not necessarily the beginning, but it's like the quote unquote less dangerous Mm -hmm. to murdering a man in your uniform in broad daylight while people are filming you. And feel comfortable doing it. And he, that was the part. Murder? I think that that's the part when you see his face, his oh, yeah. expression is that he perfectly felt that he was privileged and that he could do it and nothing okay. would happen to him. Yeah. I mean, that part, because I always look beyond the surface and I tell people, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the deeper embedded psychological portion of what it is is that there was no concern fear. For instance, if you are doing something wrong or even a child, you bust them doing something, they stop, they look around, they look, they kind of feel shamed or suspicious, you know. Mm-hmm. They feel some sense of, uh-oh, I've been caught. Yep. And he's being filmed and the whole time he's like, and so what? Yep. 
I can do this. This is America. I can do this. And that's the subtle imagery that for my entire life Mm -hmm. (laughs) has been part of, you know, the, the scene and the story. And, you know, I am a woman, you know, of faith and, and people are under, you know, get upset when they were saying like, you know, people have been praying too long because people don't realize if you think about historically, even in the whole episode of American Negro slavery, and I say American Negro slavery as opposed to slavery, because there's a difference is that religion was often used to keep Mm -hmm. American Negroes in line. Yeah. Just wait, it's going to come. It was like, like it was a panacea. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so even still, I have to battle with my own elements of my relationships, my relationships with friends and family and God and faith and, you know, religion, you know, doesn't stop me from being a believer, but I am not going to sit there and say, well, I'm going to wait for God to come and fix it either. You know, and yeah. I realize that I, me as an individual can create the butterfly effect. And it's, it's that in which I decided, okay, time to use your voice, time to use your platform, time to share your stories, try to use your truth, time to, you know, be transparent that you have your own biases. See, here's the part Mm -hmm. that an an implicit bias works like that. Mm-hmm. And I and I talk a lot and I've done a disrupt HR about this. I've spoken to groups about um, blind spots. And one of the biggest blind spots that we have is our own implicit biases. Every single person in the world has them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and and when we walk around not owning them, mm-hmm. it's what continues to perpetuate what's occurring. Mm-hmm. And so again, if you ask me where and why do I feel more comfortable going to now, I literally, I'm what would people call, I'm a crossover brand, to be honest <laughs> with you. I'm a crossover brand. I just am. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I know that for certain things and at certain times, I feel more comfortable sitting, having a conversation with black women than anyone else. But then again, it's not just about race, class. I feel more comfortable with being around black women who are educated, (laughs) who have a certain financial status and means, who live in certain neighborhoods, who drive certain types of cars, who come from certain professions. There lies my own implicit biases about. So do you see, like, I have to... (laughs) (laughs) that part people get confused. It's like, well, this is happening to me. Yes. But when we look at the institutionalization of racism in America, there's a difference because at certain period of times you ask, why do I feel more comfortable? It's because at times I didn't have a choice. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't separate. There's an intersectionality of all of it. And so right now, as people are trying to grapple and understand what to do and how to, because now it's confronting them and they have to take a hard look. And so people say, what do I do? Because I definitely want to spend time in this conversation. So what do I do? I get the question all the time. What do I do? And I start with, I said, start with you. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. People want to do a knee jerk, which is not a solution. That's not a long-term sustainable solution. I want to go out right now and I'm going to go buy a pair of black socks and five ponytails and whatever. And I'm going to go support a black business tomorrow. Yep. 30 days, 60 days, one year, five years, 10 years. See, it's uh, a knee jerk reaction. Yep. Yeah. So what I would recommend, number one, okay, my friend group, and I said, Go spend some time with you asking yourself some hard questions. <laughs> yeah. And don't and there, do something just because. There are so many resources, right? Yeah. So um, I cannot remember who said it or what was said, but I, but I was, I was checked at work. I was working on a change program that was focused on diversity and inclusion. Honestly, mostly diversity. But anyways, um, and I had never done this work before. And I was checked. I was like, whoa. And so I went to ask that, quite frankly, that white woman question, like, well, what should I do? And thank God, whoever this was said back to me, you have Google. Yeah. Like empower yourself. You have Google, right? And um, and so I, I'm not exactly sure, you know, what came first, second, or third. <laughs> um, you know, for example, podcasts are free. This is your self education and your self exposure and your self um, deep dives does not have to be expensive, right? So go to your library ask that question. My librarian was so happy to help me, right? Gave me some beginner stuff. Um, I did podcast search with Google and got exposed. And and I mean, I'm a passionate follower of Pod Save the People because for me, it's like the best of all possible worlds. It's for extraordinary human beings who are passionate and love themselves and love what's happening in the world in that they're playing a part to make it better, but they're also straight shooters. And I'm just there as a spider on the wall. So expose yourself to that, you know, and then don't stop. So, you know, right now on my, um, on my, I always have a pile of books. I've got, you know, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I've got The Chronicle of St. Mary's. And then I have How to Be Anti-Racist. Like, we need to do the work inside of ourselves and then yes. have the conversations with our people. Yes. I need to have those. And I have to tell you, um, Especially when ICE was on the move, like we taught our children not to answer the door. We taught Mm -hmm. them not to engage with the police. We taught them those things because my husband is not a citizen. And even if he was, they're still picking up citizens. But anyways, and I tried to have these conversations with um, some people from our school and some are ready to enter into that and some weren't. This morning... My mom's text message chain lit up. Hey, can we get on a Zoom? I really need to talk about this with somebody. Wow. How can we do this? Nicole, do you have any resources, right? So the first is, in my opinion, self-education. The second is talk to your own people about it. Mm-hmm. And 
screw up and ask the uncomfortable questions. And I mean, oh my God, I have screwed up so much. And then put yourself in places that are of discomfort. So I'm a conference goer. I know I'm a geek, but I am. So I went to the white privilege conference and oh my God, I screwed up all the time, but people were so gentle with me because they knew I was there to try to better myself. I was there to learn to be a better white person and even to begin the pathway towards becoming an anti-racist, right? Right. And it that was incredible. Not everybody's a conference person, you know. Some people are just yeah. going to start watching different media that's uncomfortable for them, right? And then you got money? Where is it going? <laughs> people are often trying to get they're trying to become an anti-racist by osmosis, I would call it. Oh my God, yeah. It's like hard work. It's like, if I stand next to another person that's anti-racist, it's going to rub off on me, but I don't have to deal with my own ish and deal with my own uh, subconscious stories and tape that's Mm -hmm. led me to here. Mm -hmm. And and if I just stand in the room in the group, but that's been the challenge is that people have been standing in the room in the group silent going, I'm here in this group. So that proves... I'm anti-racist. Yeah. Or actually, no, not anti. They, people are just understanding there's a difference. They will prove I'm not racist. I'm not racist. I'm not racist. And and here's what I realized that people don't even understand what the word racist means. No. <laughs> they don't. They say, you're a racist. I cannot be a racist. My early teacher, he said, I can't be a racist. I could be a bigot. I could, <laughs> I could be biased because racism is about power. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's about power. So when you say, yeah, it's about power Mm -hmm. and and, and putting system in place. I am not part of the collective group. And there's a, there's a three part in that because not only am I a woman, I'm an African-American woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I'm a double Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I hear the, the piece, the part, there's an intersectionality of that. And so a reason why I wanted to talk to my sisters, I said, open it up. White, black, Puerto Rican, Haitian, I don't care. Let's talk because there's, there's, there's some differences and there's some commonalities. So let's start having conversations with ourselves so that we're not, when it comes to standing in solidarity, mm-hmm. that we're not trying to push our own agenda so much that we don't see the collective impact and in that but we first have to be heard independent of each other to see where collectively we have to move forward and i think that's the part that is the hard part because someone will say okay well i'm a woman let's talk about i'm a woman or i'm an lgbt woman okay but what if i was a black lgbt woman my goodness yeah i add another layer Mm -hmm. you think it's hard for you now add being black on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. So so whatever you got in America being black and being erased from history over and over. I mean, I have just, I'm like this years old when I learned (laughs) the, um, the protests, uh, in New York at Stonewall, I believe it was called. Yep. That was led by black transgender women. Yeah. I was this years old when I learned that. 
And so it's, it's like, there's so many, um, there's just so much depth, depth to it. And walking through it is, is, is really hard. And it's hard to talk to your kids about it. You know, Um, it's hard to talk to my kid about it. And I'm going to tell you why, (laughs) because, and this is a blessing, but it's also causes concern for me. Mm-hmm. because my child grew up in an international environment. Mm-hmm. And so his world was a little bit different. However, what he doesn't remember is the times, well, it's a, he doesn't have a conscious memory of what's occurred to him. I do. Yeah. He does, but subconsciously it's there. And I believe that it's part of some of the other decisions he makes now, mm-hmm. because I remember him starting kindergarten in Germany and he's at the military school and he's at the kindergarten and he came home crying one day because he said, they won't play with me on the playground. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, Oh, so-and-so, they don't want to be my friend. They won't play with me. And I said, why? He said, because I'm Brown. He said, he can't play with me. And it broke. This is another child telling another child. So where does it, where do they get it from? Mm-hmm. And he didn't understand that. And so through different periods of his life, because he, he grew up, so he has a kind of broadened perspective and global and he's traveled and, and he's been really resilient with making friends, but he's been in some very particular situations where he was excluded Yeah. and it hurt him. So now, and I tell him, I'd like to talk to you about it, or even maybe you might want to go to therapy about it to just see why you make certain choices or why you're triggered or why you feel like you have to be there and be super friend. And if they invite you, you got to run because you've seen, I said, you're the prize. But it's almost like you feel like, well, they included me. Yeah. That makes me special. And I said, you are special. So there's certain kind of based on my, but here's again, I'm trained differently. Mm-hmm. I have a certain knowledge. So knowledge is also, that's why I said race, class, yeah. and sisterhood is that, not everybody has a mama that's a PhD and is an academic mm-hmm. who dabbles in psychoanalysis and psychotherapy. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> and neurolinguistic programming. Yeah. So not everybody has that. So he has an, an, another advantage over maybe someone else. So when people talk to him and they meet him, he's a very special person, but they're like, there's always something different. And I went to school. And I will remember um, if Christina, I had a friend neighborhood. She looked, this is a class situation. Mm-hmm. Christina frame. Oh my gosh. We were friends since elementary middle school and she lived across the street from me, but her parents were bigots and racist, but I hung out with them and her, we were friends, but there were certain lines you couldn't cross. And, um, and so, and Christina was adamant about thwarting, <laughs> this in front of her parents' face, like, I'm not going to be, yeah. or I don't think this way because why she went to school with us. She was at, you know, but and her parents lived in our neighborhoods because it was a social economically affordable place for them. Mm-hmm. And so they were like one of the only one or two white families in the area, maybe two or three. But I remember we were sitting there and her stepdad and mom felt comfortable when I was sitting there and they said, we like you. Dina, because you're not like them. Who's them? I've heard that. 
throughout my educational experiences and my employment opportunities. You're not like them. Who's them? You're different. Different how? So that tells me there's some embedded stereotypes. And so now, I mean, you're not a child anymore, right? And and so I'm not I'm not suggesting that as a child, this is something that you would have addressed, right? Now as an adult and with all the education that you had, how when you're facing a situation that you're one of the good ones, how do you how do you navigate that? By speaking up in the beginning, like I said, I had to confront with everything going on my own implicit biases. Like I, I worked hard to do this, you know, and I don't want to be associated here because then it's going to limit my opportunity there. I went through that phase too. Okay. Mm -hmm. Where I began to self-segregate against other African-Americans who were in different social economic classes experiences. And I did because I felt that if I, it would be guilt by association. Hmm. And so when I became, went through the journey and I started to, again, start with myself. Yeah. And I'm not saying I've been enlightened for years and years and years, y'all. I'm talking about, we're talking about in this last few years of enlightenment. Oh, today. yeah. Oh, yeah. This <laughs> clear, like, I'm talking about four years. Yeah. 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 This wasn't like, older. okay, cool. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, this ain't, and, and, and I, and I have to challenge myself every day because of my own implicit biases. That's why when I made a post, mm-hmm. I said, I have to confront my own biases. Yeah. Before I started making, assumptions and count and whatever else and look at my own because I, and I, and I don't want to dilute the whole concept of really what we're talking about as far as like race and American changes, but even within subgroups, there's an element of privilege. Oh, absolutely. And I've been afforded that. And I know that I know there's certain things that afford me a privilege that someone else, why? Because of school, you know, so Mm -hmm. that's why I said race class, in sisterhood. But now what I actually do, I become bolder, but here's the reason why I can now become bolder. See, early on, I was too Maslow hierarchy of needs. I need to eat. I got to be quiet. If I say something now, I'm going to, but now I'm in a different position and I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it is. Okay, I'm not saying what was done was right. I'm saying, that's why I said, deal with yourself first. And I now confront on the spot. I don't let it slide. I'm not going to make for a time that's convenient. I'm not going to say, oh, well, I don't want to put you on front street. If you go there in public, I'm going there with you. Mm -hmm. Because I will use all of my faculties, educational abilities, my wonderful articulation, and I will go there with you on the spot. So let me ask you a question. What do you mean by that? Can you explain? And I don't do it in a belligerent manner. And see, when I then am bold, when I have been actually bold enough to ask the question, what do you mean by, can you explain? Well, I don't want you getting all upset. Then I get thrown that angry black female oh, stereotype. Oh my God. Yes. And so I'm like, 
okay, so again, I'm going to rewrite, you know, here's the thing I've learned and I've been mentored and I go back to, I've learned, I sought a greater understanding on how do you navigate? And now I want to teach others how to navigate this, how to use the right language. I've been teaching my child this from birth. So people go, my God, he's such a great communicator because I knew he had to be. He had to learn and know how to communicate. He had to learn how to manage triggers. He had to learn because I needed him to live. Like one of your guests said, you're raising an endangered species. You know, I, I also began to change my language when I also describe and articulate who and what we are. Because I say the devil's a liar. I'm not raising an endangered species. That was me triggered in a moment. Okay. okay. And I had to start reframing my language mm-hmm. so I can restrict my narrative so mm-hmm. I can speak my truth and influence the outcome differently. Oh, that's very interesting. Because that phrase, that that um, description has been extremely helpful. So I, like you, when I'm dealing with a sexist situation or racist situation, I'm like, I don't understand that joke. Can you explain it to me? Because some people don't want to explain their jokes. And I've had so many of those, quote unquote, uncomfortable conversations that now where people are are seeing a lot of their own hit the streets or protest online or donate money or whatever, I'm starting to get people asking me questions about the whole, like being a woman, being a white person, being, um, or trying to be anti-racist and always trying to become a better member of society. And that description has helped so much. How would you feel is every time your child left the door because he's healthy, he's grown, he has a strong body, he has a great smile, that that could potentially put his life in danger. And that has been so helpful. And now that I'm listening to what you're saying, I'm like, yeah, that's actually, I wouldn't want to describe my child that way. Mm. But it's a consciousness. It's a it's a way that we use our language and our words, and mm-hmm. and everybody might not be at that place. So, like I love what you said. Meet you meet people where they're at at that place and that stage. I was at a different level of consciousness on how I was using my words. Mm-hmm. And so, energy can't be made or destroyed. So, again, if I want to influence the outcome, I have to start with me. So that's why I become intentional. I understand the reality of institutionalized racism. I don't have to internalize the institution. I understand the realities of, isn't that, wow. And that is, Ah, so I am tearing up (laughs) because that is, that can be true for all of us. Yes. (laughs) Yes. 
that's that mm. journey I want to take and that I am now charged to take to move the needle forward. So, which is why I've opened up this special series. How long yeah. it's going to go on? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At first I thought I wanted to just do it for a short period of time and, but no, I'm going to always open it up to talk about it because it is part of our glass. Yes. Oh, yes, it is. Okay. It's part of our glass because it also then makes us compete subconsciously. Mm -hmm. So when we go in, you have to, people say, I don't see color. Why not see me? I want you to see me. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to see me. Yeah. I don't Mm -hmm. want to, I don't, I don't want to merge. I don't want to become um, a broth. (laughs) That's all blended. (laughs) I want to be a gumbo. (laughs) You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let me be the shrimp and the king crab legs. You know, the things people want. That's right. I, I, all of our unique flavors is what adds to the body and the flavor mm. of to what we're doing. So, but when we have to confront, and this is where that implicit bias and how institutional racism and white privilege mm-hmm. creates a barrier is that if you and I walked into a conservative, that's a label we use, banking and organization and whatever else. Mm-hmm. And we were looking to, again, get a position or a role in a leadership role. Uh, I'm talking leadership roles because sometimes I'll let you do that stuff because you can, you can do that. Mm-hmm. A leadership role to run teams. Mm-hmm. And I can talk about my international background, my experience and all the things that I've done. And then you would share yours. Mm-hmm. They're very similar. Mm-hmm. There is a part of the way things are set up that you getting that job is probably more likely than me. Yep. Yeah. Now, yeah. And and now there's some other, and if you didn't get that job, they would have something else for you because they might give me that job because they say they have to fill a quota. So if I do get the job now, now maybe we, again, here's some there, I'm, I'm speaking all kinds of possibilities that are there and it's going through the mind of, so you, we go to the job. They like me. I'm charismatic. I'm fabulous. And they give me the job and you didn't get the job. And then you walk away and you're saying she got the job cause she's black. I'm sick of this affirmative action mess. Uh... Okay. And you did get the job and, and, or I did get the job and now I'm running the team and I'm the only on the team. And they're saying, yep, there's our affirmative action leader. How does this now put me in a situation? So that's our glass. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what I, what I didn't understand until I had the experience with that, that change program I was running, um, we really made a difference with that change. Like we really made a difference. You could see it in every single KPI retention of people of um, quote unquote different religions, um, races, sexuality, citizenship. I mean, just incredible. And, and then that program was dismantled. Oh no. Within four months all of the black women were gone from their leadership positions, all of them, including in Africa. They were all gone. 
And so then I I had to go and I, I turned to a mentor of mine and I was like, this, this, it's not enough to open the door and get one person through it, right? So it's like, well, we hire, you know, we, we have a scholarship from girls from Appalachia, but if there's only one girl from Appalachia and I get one mistake and then I'm gone or just they decide that they don't want that anymore, it, it doesn't move forward. We not only have to ensure that there is affirmative action, that there is equality, which means the people who have been disadvantaged now become advantaged because I'm already advantaged, right? And then it has to be held in place. And even more importantly than that, it has to be more than just a surface Mm-hmm. Yeah. Band-aid for a deeper culture issue. And that's why everything rises and falls on leadership, and which is why I want to speak with leaders and say, from a leadership perspective, let's look at it from a leadership view. And, and what can you do? How are you leading this, 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 this space? How are you taking a control? And it's just not random token things. It's just not that, oh, guess what? It's Black History Month, so we're going to have a soul food potluck. <sighs> what? So how about being putting part of the plan where you're including, you know, Black interns, that maybe you start having paid internships. Why? Because, again, and people say, oh, well, there's internships, but some of them are, you can't, they're not paid. So yeah. I'm struggling. I can't afford school. I need to work for a year without getting paid and work, and I can't even have another. There's the so when we talk about the institution and systemic that leads to the development of additional implicit, but it's it's all part of so that that personal piece and that's why I said go start with you. Wait a minute. And so I'm preparing to do this roundtable, which I'm starting the roundtable series, just FYI. I, um, I'm really excited that with this, I, I first said, hey, I want to have use my podcast. And I was sitting in it and I was just kind of going, okay, what, what can I really do for leaders? Mm-hmm. Because with so many different traumas and things like that has occurred in the last few years, and even from my last leadership position, mm-hmm. for a moment, I felt uncomfortable leading. Not that I couldn't, but the last, my last assignment was so traumatic and I was attacked and I was bullied Mm -hmm. and I realized I had PTSD Mm -hmm. and I still do. And when I say it was so traumatic that every, I went through a 15, nearly 16 year, 15 plus years experience of exemplary. When I say exemplary awards, 2012 blue ribbons, I mean, commander awards, everything. And when I decided to speak up about something that was unjust, Mm -hmm. then at that point in time, I was actually attacked and bullied for speaking up. 
And so I lost my privilege. That's when I began to realize, oh my gosh, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And mm. as long as you played the game and I was told Dina, if you play the game, you're good. If you play the game, if you be quiet, if you don't do this, 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 and you do this, this, and this, and you play the game and you stay under the radar, if you stay under the radar, you will keep enjoying and this. You just got to stay under the radar. And I, and, and I did, but I still, again, cream rice, I, I couldn't stay under the radar. That's not how I'm built. That's not what I'm called to do. So as I began to shine and then as I began to call out injustices and and policies and procedures that were um, that weren't kosher, the tables turned and I became a target. So. When we when we first started talking, we were talking a little bit about the sisterhood, right? Did you, I don't know, if this was too personal, like, please just be like, girl, no. <laughs> um, did you have sisterhood when you were moving through that? Like, did your colleagues engage with you or? No, they can get, no, they That's, weren't. That has been no, my no not at all. So two things occurred. I'm glad that you asked. There's two things occurred. And again, I said, I'm going to start with me. Two things. Number one, there was shame attached to I was the golden child. Okay. And now I am a, you know, not even a bronze penny, copper nickel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so there was, and this is the sisterhood part, over the course, when people looked at me, she gets everything. She has all, she has this. And so there was almost a celebratory element to my demise. See, she was their token. See, she was there. Mm. <laughs> and then on the other side of it, my quote unquote white allies were like, oh, well, I see what's happening. They had inside knowledge of what was going on, but they said, I can't say anything because I would lose my job. I can't come to your defense because I would then be on the block too. So I was alone. (laughs) I was alone in that. And I, and I became very resentful of that. Who, where was somebody for me? And there was, I said, a couple of people, I mean, I had an attorney and even still we've been in litigation for what, I don't know, eight and nine years now, you know, I found it. And and then when we went to court the first time with evidence against all the travesties that were occurring and were happening and we went to court and they said, yeah, I'm seeing all of this, but still I don't really see the case. What? Here's documentation. Cause I was an avid document. I, I... <sighs> yeah. To the point where it got so bad. Then I went, I was at the doctor. My health was impacted. Um, I went to the doctor. And then again, when we talk about how the the whole system and our own um, exposure to 
it was like, I can't go to the doctor or to the therapist, whatever else, because then they're going to use that against me. Oh, that is. And, and which they did. So then I found, I actually, I knew a person, he was actually a black therapist that was in that area, went to see him. And he's like, here's kind of what's going on. Well, you know, even medication, the whole nine yards and all that kinds of stuff. And again, that was then used as part of the package against me. To after 16 years, hear me, 16 years, 15 and a half, literally 15 and a half with zero, when I say zero, zero blemishes, all of a sudden I became a pariah. And I had been trying to get out of that and move to another location. I had interviewed for a new job, a new position, thought, okay, great, this is going to be what I need, blah, 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 blah. And it was all well and done. And, and we were, you know how you know you got the job? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then a week later, I was like, hey, what's going on? And they was like, well, I don't, you know, got really shaky. Well, came out from court papers that my then supervisor blackballed me. Yeah. And, and, and spewed a bunch of lies that had no substantiated anything. We had the documentation and I took that to court and said, she said this, there's nowhere in the right, this is not true. She literally, and yet they still said, so it was, it was, it was, and it, it was, it was such a traumatic experience. I said, I don't want anything to do. And so then when I took a medical leave, applied for a medical leave that I had documentation to take, mm-hmm. you've gone AWOL. What? Here's the paperwork. Here's the documentation. I mean, it's, it was this, and then said, you know what? You have conduct that's unbecoming of administrator because then again, they then used the fact that I had an argument with a store, a shortstop owner, a, a store owner had an argument and with that person. And I even the one came back and said, this is what happened to me. I was kind of a little shaken. The guy tried to grab me, you know, all this other stuff. I came to them with what happened to me. And it was saying, well, you were loud. You were. Mm. I said, here's. We have video you yelling, whatever. I said, did you see him putting his hands? I kept saying, don't touch me. I said, so when you talk about <laughs> sisterhood, support, you know, white, black, whatever. And I didn't tell my family a lot of this. I actually have never shared a lot of this. But I realized that it's in my story. Yeah. It's in me sharing. Yeah. You know, yeah. when I say more challenging work and I, I'd like to do this. Here's some opportunities. And they said, you should just be happy with what you got. Mm-hmm. Said that to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was told the same thing. I had a, I had a situation. Um, I went running and a man tried to assault me and um, he was unsuccessful. And I went um, back and signed into work and I realized I was really shaken up. And so long story short, I was explaining to my uh, supervisor why I needed a a few more days off than I had originally anticipated. It impacted me more than I thought it did. And he told me that if I was too weak to do my job, then maybe I shouldn't have my job. Mm. And so I reported him, right? Because I had been in 
Germany and you can't behave like that. And I was told you can't behave like that in the U.S. as well. He had done this to so many other women, had made them feel uncomfortable, had weakened their position, had written like really abusive things. And not a single person, not a single woman was willing to stand in her value. Mm. It was so heartbreaking for me. It was so heartbreaking for me. Think about all the women whose shoulders we stand on. We got to be building that bridge or that, you know, the shoulders need to be even taller for the next generation. Mm-hmm. And even and and even still, and, and, it, and it takes all sizes of our triumphs. And so when you were speaking, you're saying shoulder to shoulder. And I immediately kind of was like, actually, what came to mind visually was mm-hmm. the different heights along the journey to create a stair step up. Oh, that's, that is beautiful. That's <laughs> and beautiful. so yeah. it takes all of our unique experiences at the different levels of our mm-hmm. journey. Yeah. to to connect we don't need to be shoulder to shoulder and i always tell my clients network up <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, absolutely. right right and absolutely. so i'm staring going let's look at the different heights that we've been at and so when you were talking and the shoulder to shoulder i thought that's what they did when they, they marched in the suffrage movement for that sense of you know unity and showing solidarity but right now, it's more than solidarity. We need sponsorship. We need upward movement. We don't need and, to be flatlined. Yes. And that, exactly what you just said, is what made that program successful. Mm. Was sponsorship. And so every executive was asked by a certain date by the head of the business unit to hand in the two people that they were going to sponsor. And I had to really educate these people about what is sponsorship. It is not mentorship. It is not no. mentorship. Mm-mm. It is me as a person who has more accessibility and more knowledge, insight, whatever the case may be, right? I earn more money. I live in a place, whatever the case may be. I bring someone else's name into the room who isn't in that room. And then I put my name behind that person. That is sponsorship. And the sponsorship is what changed lives. And when those, when those women that I was referencing, when they left the company, they moved into amazing positions. Why? Sponsorship. Right. And, and that's been a part of it. It's never too early to be a sponsor. It's never too early, but that's why your programs like that work. And that's why when we're looking at where the disparity comes mm-hmm. in the suite, in the C-suite and looking at, you know, ethnicity and race and diversity and sustainability and is that, so it's, it's so much. And I know that we can like talk, oh my God, I'm so glad. That we're, I'm like, okay, I'm here like part two. Um, <laughs> like we can do a whole series on this thing. But I, I did want to make sure, I mean, this was, well, we are doing a whole series, but I do want to revisit it, you know, uh, again. And like I said, I think that there's still more to the conversation. I know that you guys have been with us listening for like the last hour. And I know that you got some nuggets to take away. And we were starting, I thought it'd be about 30. I go, oh, it's going to be these great 30 minute calls, you know. Oh my goodness, this was so good and so needed and so necessary and so therapeutic. 
and cathartic even for me to to share certain pieces. But I do want to make sure that we leave the listeners from this episode. And and please know, everybody, there's more. There is more coming, more coming, more coming. So definitely make sure you subscribe. But I want, Nicole, for you to, what what would you recommend Mm -hmm. to those that you know, not people you don't, that they could do right now to be better bridges, supporters, connectors, and to kind of own the space to be able to get to a point where they can now begin to start the journey or or develop what we call anti-racist ideals. Yeah. So the first thing is that if it's not making you sweat, if it's not making you uncomfortable, it's not enough. Mm. So um, I mentioned a few of the things that I've been doing, and I realized that that was of comfort for me. And so I went on to my business profile, and I made a very clear statement and a call for specific action, because if I'm comfortable, I'm not stretching myself enough in this space, and this space is killing fellow humans. So whatever's happening, especially, and I'm talking about white people here, um, you need to be uncomfortable. You need to be putting yourself into that space. The second thing is that there are amazing resources out there. Um, I would really suggest for anyone getting started that you start with Robin D'Angelo's literature. It's research-based. It's been um, proven and it is established and it is very, very hard work and it is worth it because you will be a better parent, colleague, friend, employee, activist, etc. Pod Save the People is a fantastic podcast to listen to, as well as Still Processing. So if you like pop culture, Still Processing from the New York Times is a great way to learn about pop culture and talk about all these amazing artists and movies, but also experience um, as you're listening to the Black American experience as well. And then get your wallet out. <laughs> Get your wallet out. So wherever there's a freedom fund, donate and donate every month. Dedicate yourself to that. And freedom funds are um, used as cash bail to bail people out. Um, and this is for like $15, $50, $100, up to like $500. And um there's a 98% return on that bail. So every time that you're donating, you're creating a bigger pool so that more of our fellow humans are released from cages, especially our nonviolent humans. And then the other thing is that, you know, the NAACP, uh, you can be a member. Your sure local Black Lives Matter chapter is always doing things. Um, ACLU, Southern Poverty Law Center, like you need to put your money where your mouth is. 
And then, um, of course, find out where there are some businesses you haven't gone to yet. Um, Latinx owned, black owned, places where people of every sort are celebrated. It is worth the time to make that happen. Um, but yeah, that, that is my really concrete steps. And then the other thing is be ready to screw up. Be ready. <laughs> yeah to hurt people, be ready to apologize and listen, 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 listen. The, the people who are closest to the problem are closest to the solution. So come in with your resources to work on the solution crafted by those who are closer to the problem. And throughout all of this, because it's huge, this this is what gives me so much hope. And this is why I always say, Jerry McKesson and Pot Save the People and Brittany Packnett are just incredible sages for me. This system was built by people. So people can change it. That's right. And you are a people. So I hope that that helps folks out there who are ready to step deeper. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to even, you know, going deeper and sharing even more of these amazing conversations about race, class, and sisterhood on Walking Through Glass, the podcast. And that's a show for you today. If this, anything, and is whatever nugget of this speaks to you, um, please do us a, a solid. You can share. Because when we have these conversations and when we are sharing these conversations and we are seeing that we can see ourselves in these stories, then it also gives us hope for change to be um, change agents. So please definitely share. And uh, Walking Through Glass, the podcast, of course, is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Music Play, um, and Stitcher. And be sure to leave a review. Leave a review so that more people um, can hear. I think that today was a powerful start for me. I know, and using my platform and using my voice and inviting others to share theirs as well. So thank you, Nicole. I look forward to what's coming up next. You are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. That's the wrap.